Matthew chapter 5, we'll pick up in verse 43 this week. I told you last week we, we were doing 38 through 42. And kind of what led to these two particular sections of Matthew 5 that we we're looking at last week and this week um, is just kind of looking around and thinking about how incredibly divided we are, how incredibly tense things are. Um, everybody's kind of in a camp in a corner and the reality is there is a serious lacking of grace and goodwill. There's a lot of tension towards other people in that. And I think we need to back up a little bit and see what God has to say about how we treat other people, how we view up other people, how we treat. Last week was about retaliation. You know, you you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, resist the one who is evil, or do not resist the one who is evil, but if he slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Turn the other cheek, as we often call it. It's more about the, the implications of the gospel and how we treat other people who aren't good to us, especially those who aren't good to us. You know, grace Grace is not about being kind to people who are kind to you. You're not a gracious person if you're really kind to people who are really kind to you. You're a normal person. Grace, grace is about being kind and it's about being good to people who are bad to you. Can you be good to people who are bad to you? That's grace. Just a, a few questions to start off this morning one is are you easily offended are you a person that's easily offended I mean you things get under your skin really quickly other people do are you easily offended let me ask you this do you see the best in other people or do you see the worst in other people what are you looking for what do you what do you see there do you give the benefit of the doubt or do you just assume the worst let me ask you this, do you love people who don't love you? I know you say, yeah, I love people, I love a lot of people, I mean, I, yeah, they love you, but what about the people that don't love you? Do you love people who don't love you? When I was looking, for this, looking at this passage, I also looked at Romans 12, because it, it, it's, there, there's so many similarities in what it says. I just want to read Romans 12, 14 through 21 real quick, and I think it sets us up good for where we're going today. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. The people that are mistreating you, what do you do? You bless them. You don't curse them, you bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then one of my, I think, an incredibly important verse for us as the church. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. If possible, for your part, as much as it depends upon you, live at peace with all men. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it, to God, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will reap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Now there's some things that are out of you. You may not be at peace with everybody, because you only can control one side of that. But as much as it depends upon you, be at peace. Everything you control, be at peace. Don't repay evil with evil, but return good. As much as it depends upon you. Now, last week I told you guys that one of the areas where I think the Lord was dealing with me was at these basketball games, right? I mean, and these refs that can kind of really frustrate you sometimes, right? It's a small, insignificant thing, but it's just amazing how you can go from so calm to hollering and screaming at a ref and like, you know, like that. Well, I was tested this week. Since Thursday, we've had six high school basketball games. And uh, I would love to report to you that I didn't say a word. But I would sit there and tell Amy, he's like, okay, I'm going to be quiet. I'm just going to totally be quiet. And then it was, oh, that's a foul. You don't see that? And, and then I would say, I don't want to do that. Amy, help me here. Give me a sucker or something I can put in my mouth to keep me from, keep from talking. Thankfully, sanctification is a process, and we're getting there, right? Not arrived yet. But I don't want to be that. You don't want to be that. That reactionary, how do we react to people? How do we, how do we treat other people? And that's a silly thing, but it's just an example. How do we treat other people? Those that frustrate us, what do we do? We're going to look at the law on loving your enemies, the law on loving your enemies. Let's read the passage for today. Uh, starting in verse 43 of Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what, are, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's our passage. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We're first looking at what, what's the law that he's referring to here. You've heard it said. We, we see this over and over in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus starts in Matthew chapter 5, back up in like verse 17, and he says, listen, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. And not one part of it's going to pass away until all is fulfilled. And not only that, the one that's going to be least in the kingdom is one who starts taking things away from it. And the one who's greatest in the kingdom is not going to do that. That's 17 through uh, 20 there in, in, in the passage. Jesus says, no, the law is good. The law is right. The law has a purpose. And it's like we see elsewhere, the law is good if it's used lawfully. Well, it's not always used lawfully. And they were clearly not doing that. I mean, so Jesus goes point by point through, through several things. He says, you know, you've heard it said, those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable of judgment. But I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. 
And then he does the same thing with lust. And then he does the same thing with divorce. And he does the same thing with oaths. And then he does the same thing with retaliation. And now he's doing the same thing with, with loving your enemies and how we treat our enemies and our, and our neighbor as it is in, in this situation. He's referring back to an Old Testament law and saying, but you missed this. You got this wrong. Because you're looking strictly at a certain letter and you're, you're assuming certain things on that basis, but you're totally missing the heart of it. You're missing it on the side of the heart. He's referring here to Leviticus 19.18. And Leviticus 19.18 says, you shall, not, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against, someone, uh, against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We know it also in the New Testament because Jesus said this is the second greatest commandment. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, 18. Now we need to clarify something here because you'll, you'll, you'll see what he, he said. You, you've heard it said, you shall, love your enemy and, uh, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Did you read that anywhere? That you're to hate your enemy? Do y'all know that it doesn't, it doesn't really say that anywhere in the Old Testament? But that's how they regarded it? Oh, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I can hate my enemy. It's, that's not part of the command. It was never given anywhere, but that is how they regarded it. That's how they took it. So Jesus is correcting a false implication of loving your neighbor. They're never told to hate their enemy but it's a false implication that they have on the idea of loving their neighbor. And so Jesus is bringing some correction to that. Do I only have to love my neighbor? I mean, I'm commanded to love my neighbor. So do I only have to love my neighbor? Surely I don't have to love my enemy. And surely it's really only the good people that I have to love. Or it's the people that are like me. I've got to love the people that are like me. Not the different people. Not the people I don't like. Not those others. I think this attitude that we see is illustrated um, in, a, in a parable that you're probably fairly familiar with, and that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, Luke chapter 10 is where, is where that parable is found. But the parable of the Good Samaritan really illustrates the point. It says a lawyer comes to Jesus and basically asks Jesus, how do you get saved, right? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do to be saved? And so he comes, asks Jesus that question, and what does Jesus do? He gives them the law. <laughs> he says, you know, what is, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so he starts giving commandments, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, yep, you've said it right. Do this and you'll live. You keep that law perfectly and you're good. Well, the problem is he's not keeping that law perfectly. He thinks he's pretty good, but he's not. Jesus is basically pointing out the fact that you've got a problem with sin. But it kind of goes a little bit different direction. It says in, 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 in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, but he desiring to justify himself, in other words, trying to you know, justify that he thinks he's going to be good enough to get into heaven, he says, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan to talk about who is the neighbor. 
right? And y'all know the parable of the Good Samaritan, I think. You have a, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's, he's fallen among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and, and departed, uh, leaving him, the guy half dead, okay? Leaving the guy half dead. And then you have some, some people that come by, and they're not just anybody that comes by. I mean, these are the, the spiritual people that come by, right? And it says a priest was going down the re- that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So the priest comes and sees the guy that's robbed and beaten and left for dead, and he's like, ooh, I'm going to go over here, away from that guy. And not just the priest, but then a Levite comes by. What does a Levite do? When he came to that place and saw, he passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan came by. First of all, who's a Samaritan to the Jews? They they're literally would consider them the, the, the compromised ones, the half They intermarried with the pagan people, right? They're, they're the dirty ones. They're the unclean people. And so a Samaritan comes by, and what does he do? He saw him, and he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took, uh, and took care of him. And he even gave extra money to the inn so that he would continue to be taken care of. That's, that's the story. So you have, you, have, you have somebody that's beaten, robbed, and left for dead. And you have the religious people, the, the good people that didn't want to have anything to do with that dirty person. But then there was a, a dirty Samaritan. And he had compassion. He took care of him, paid for everything, showed compassion, showed love. And then Jesus is going to ask this question. Verse 36 says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which of these three proved to be a neighbor? Now back up just a little bit. Remember, this lawyer came to Jesus. He asked the first question about who do I inherit, who, what I have to do to inherit a life, eternal life. But then his question that Jesus is addressing is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus does not answer his question, okay? Jesus doesn't say, who, here's who is your neighbor. In fact, he doesn't go with that at all. He says, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? See, the guy's asking, you know, who is my neighbor? In other words, who is it that I got to love? Who is it that I have to love? And Jesus doesn't answer that because it's the wrong question. It's not, what do I have to do? It's, what do I have to be? It's not, who do I have to love? But am I a loving person? Who am I supposed to be? Here is someone that wasn't easy to love. They were dirty. They were bloody. They were, it, 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 was a, it was a messed up situation. And the neighbor is the one who showed the love. Not who do I have to love, but am I a neighbor? Jesus turned it around. Jesus, loving your, loving your neighbor and your enemy is about who you are, not who they are. That's the point Jesus makes in that parable. It's about, it's about who you are, not who they are. Jesus is correcting their false understanding of the command to love your neighbor. And as in all the examples in Matthew 5, he's bringing it back to the heart. It's not about are they worthy of your love. It's not about are they like you. It's not about who they are, but it's who you are. Which of these three proved to be a neighbor? It's about who you are. And that brings us to the gospel on loving your enemies. 
By the way, when we say the gospel and love, there's not a contradiction with the law here. It's just a more full and complete understanding of the law in Christ. The gospel on it. Now, now Jesus really gets at the why of loving your enemies. Why is it that I'm supposed to love my enemies? Not just my neighbor or the ones that are easy there, but why am I supposed to love my enemies? And he really kind of gives us four reasons here in the text for loving our enemies. Four reasons, four motivations, if you will. Number one is to be like our Father. To be like our Father. Look at verse 45. Let me get back to the right spot myself here. I'll read it to you. 45, so that you, so it says, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, in other words, it's because this is what God does. And you're a child of God. You need to love your, your enemies and you need to pray for those who persecute you so that you can be like your Father. It's what God does, and you are His child. Now, He he goes on to say here in verse 45, For He makes His Son uh, rise on the evil and on the good, and He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. By the way, those are both blessings. I remember, kind of, just one of those things, kind of growing up, you always hear, you know, you know, people in the church, whatever, ever having hard times, and they say, well, it rains on the just and the unjust, Right? As if that's like a, a, a bad thing. No, here it's a good thing. It, the, the idea in Matthew 5 here is what Jesus is saying is that God blesses the good and the evil. The faithful and the unfaithful receive blessings from God. That sun shines. By the way, the sun and the rain are, give life. They grow crops. They bring nourishment. You need them both. And the, the point is, God does that on, 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 the, on the pagans and on the saints. On those who love Jesus and those who don't love Jesus. So on those who were, who were faithful in Israel and those who weren't. They all experience blessings from God. They all experience goodness from God. God is good to all. It's what we call common grace. There is an absolute degree in which everybody experiences the grace of God. Common grace. The fact that He doesn't just, you know, squash us like a grape. But He gives us life and breath and all kinds of good things. And there's, there's tremendous degrees in which everybody experiences God's goodness. Even those who are evil experience goodness from God. Now there's, there's a line there and there is judgment for sin. There is all of that. And by the way, it would be on us too apart from Christ. But everybody experiences goodness from God. By, by the way, that's actually what grace is. People that don't deserve it, people that aren't good, get goodness from God. I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. Grace is loving and being good to those who don't deserve it. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. It's unmerited favor. In other words, undeserved favor from God. So what is he saying here? Do this. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecuted you so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, be like your Father. You claim... You claim that the Lord is your heavenly Father? As His child, follow in His footsteps. To be faithful, number two, to be faithful. 
to be like our Father, and to be faithful. Jesus goes on to ask the question in the first part of 46, and he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You're going to love those who love you. What, What reward do you have in that? In other words, what have you really done? Love people that love you? What have you done? The answer is, the answer is nothing, really. Everybody does that. Love those who love you? It, you don't have to be a believer for that. Everybody. It requires no faithfulness at all to just love those who love you. It's like puffing out your chest because you're going to go eat lunch after church today. And so is most everybody else, right? I mean, you've accomplished nothing here. It's just... Yeah, that's natural. That's easy. You and almost everybody else. If you want to be faithful to Jesus, love your enemy. That's faithfulness. Love your enemy. Everybody else is not doing that. That's really doing something. That is Christ's likeness. To be faithful. You know, what reward do you have, Jesus says, if you just love those who love you? And the answer is, 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 is nothing, because you've done nothing. Christ's likeness is loving your enemy. Number three is to be set apart. To be set apart. The second part of verse 46 and verse 47 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Listen to this. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than others? Don't the Gentiles even do the same? Let me ask you a question. Does loving those who love you set you apart from the world? And the answer is no, not at all. You want to be different? You want to be set apart from the world? Yeah, I love people that love me. Congratulations, you're just like the rest of the world. Everybody does that. You're not set apart. No, it says, it says, no, even the tax collectors do that. Think IRS. No, nobody likes the IRS, right? Love them. No, I'm kidding. Tax collectors in their day, tax collectors in their day were hated, okay? They were absolutely hated. Why? Because they were robbers. I mean, they collected, they collected high taxes on behalf of the Romans and, and even some of the Jewish leadership there. And not only that, they can skim off the top. So they collect a little extra for themselves. And they're known as, they're thought as thieves and crooks and people that had no care or compassion for anybody. They were despised. They were hated. And Jesus says, listen, even the tax collectors love those who love them. You're not setting yourself apart at all. And then he goes on to say, even the Gentiles do the same. And understand too, he's talking to a Jewish audience and the idea would be the, the, the un- the people that aren't of the covenant, the other people out there, that, just to put it into where we know, the pagans. Even, even pagans do the same as that. In other words, the ungodly world loves those who love them. Countless examples of that. I mean, go join a gang. Guess what? You're going to have a brotherhood. You're going to love those who love you. You're going to take care of those who love you. And there's nothing great about it fraternities political parties join a club join a cult you know you can go on with all kinds of examples and what do they all do they all they all love each other but not necessarily anybody else 
It's not going to set you apart from the world to love those who love you. In fact, every bit of that can be purely selfish. I love those who love me because it's really all about me. If you're, if you're about me, then, I'm, then we, we get along great because I'm about me. It can be purely selfish. But what? What is totally unselfish and Christ-like? What is it that's totally unselfish and totally Christ-like? Loving those who hate you, that is. Loving those who hate you. Praying for those who mistreat you. As Jesus said, praying for those who persecute you. You want to you you be totally unselfish. You want to be totally like Christ. Love those who hate you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And greet those who reject you. Greeting those who reject you. That's like Jesus. That's going to set you apart. That'll make you different. Number four. To be spiritually mature. To be spiritually mature. There's a verse at the end of this. It's verse 48. And it's one of those verses that kind of makes you cringe a little bit when you, when you read it. Jesus says after just saying that, you know, be like your father, be faithful, be set apart. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You got to love your enemies and you got to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. What in the world does that mean? Because every single one of us here in this room don't qualify. What is Jesus saying? What does that what does that mean? You must you therefore must be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, let me just say a couple things. One, perfect um and this is a little bit of a translation and a language difference for us a little bit here. Yeah, does the word mean perfect? Yes, but it's more the idea of mature and complete. Teleos is, is the idea of, of being mature or being full or being complete. In verse 45, we're told to love our enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Here we're told to be mature or complete in this regard as the Father is. To, in this regard, to be mature or complete in the way, as the Father is. What does it look like to be m- m- uh, mature or complete like our Heavenly Father? It looks like loving our enemies. If I'm going to be spiritually mature, if I'm going to be spiritually complete, spiritually faithful there, I'm going to love my enemies. You know, as fathers, we... Part of our role as fathers is to set an example, right? To teach with our words. Fathers, raise your children in the discipline instruction and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4, right? We're told multiple times in Scripture to teach these things to your children, to, to instruct, but also to, to, to live it out. We, we give this example for our, our kids to follow. And we hope that they, that they do that. And there's a song that... Um, only the old people in this room uh, will know because it's an old song. Um, but it's by a group called Phillips, Craig, and Dean. And it says, it's called, I want to be just like you. I want to be just like you. Um, and it's about, a, it's about a father praying to God about his son. It says, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. I want to be a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Help me be a living Bible, Lord, that my little boy can read. I want to be just like you because he wants to be like me. What is it going to, what would it look like to be like our, our Heavenly Father? It would look like loving our enemies. 
You want to be spiritually mature? You want to be complete there as your Father is, your Heavenly Father? Love your enemies. I think a lot of times we, 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 we put spiritual maturity on a lot of things. Maybe how much we know and I can teach or I can do this. And Sometimes it may be shown by things a lot more simple. I love people who don't love me. I'm spiritually mature in that. How are you doing with that command? Here's the bottom line. Loving your enemies is about living out the gospel. Loving your enemies is that about living out the gospel. And I, I want to just show that just a little bit if I can. Why, why is it living out the gospel to love your enemies? Because as we talk about this, we're thinking about other people. We're thinking about people we work with and we really don't like them. And they're really not good people. And they're really harsh to us and they really kind of backbite and they go behind or they get us in trouble. or they, Maybe it's, it can be in all kinds of contexts. Listen, we had a, with one of my kids this week and their friends, we had the same issue and this is where we went. Be good to those and specifically be good to those who aren't good to you. It's all kinds of ways that this actually fleshes out in real life. Why is it living out the gospel? Here's why it's living out the gospel. Because we, we are the evil ones to whom Jesus did not retaliate. We saw it last week. Don't retaliate. Turn the other cheek. We're the evil ones to whom Jesus did not retaliate. Isaiah 53, in this prophecy about Jesus coming and what He was going to endure on the cross and what was going to happen, listen to what it says. Verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. He's being crucified. Could have called 10,000 angels if you heard it, right? And he opened not his mouth. He did not retaliate. We are the evil ones to whom Jesus did not retaliate. By the way, we are the needy ones to whom Jesus gave himself. We saw that last week a little bit. Go the extra mile. Tells you to walk well. Go, go. People you don't like, you don't care for, be good to them. Show kindness to them. Go that extra mile. We are the needy ones to whom Jesus gave Himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29 Come to Me, all you who are laboring are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We're those needy people. And Jesus says, come to Me, and He gives us Himself. By the way, we're the unjust ones to whom Jesus gave grace. We're the unjust ones, the ones that don't deserve it. And we received grace. 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. Some translations say the just for the unjust, as you probably are more familiar with. The righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust. We're the unjust ones to whom Jesus gave grace. What did, what did the just one do to the unjust? He suffered once for sins. He gave grace. 
so that he might bring us to God, it says. I really have to love my enemies? Do you realize that we are the enemies that God loves? We are the enemies that God loves. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. You know what it just says? Jesus doesn't just love His enemies, He died for His enemies. You're going to be like, you're going to be like your father. You're going to love your enemies. Because that's what He did for you. I was an enemy of God. I was a rebel. I was running from God, not running to God. I was sinning against the very God for whom I exist and created. And he gave me grace. And he gave me forgiveness. By the way, we are the persecutors that Jesus prayed for. Pray for those who persecute you. How am I supposed to do that? I'm mad at them. I can't pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. While they were killing Jesus, hanging him on a cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He prayed for those who persecuted. By the way, we are the enemies whom Jesus has greeted as friends. We are the enemies whom Jesus has greeted as friends. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to be reconciled to Christ? By the way, friends don't reconcile with each other. Enemies do. Friends don't need to reconcile with each other. Everything's good. But God in Christ came to His enemies and brought us together and made us friends. I'm a friend of God. How can I be a friend of God? The only way that I am a friend of God is that God loved His enemies. Christ came to His enemies. Christ died for His enemies. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus said, no, no. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's like your father. Let's pray. God, I pray you'll help us, Lord, because this is so unnatural, Lord. This is so not easy. This is so not just who we naturally are or what we naturally want to do. We want to get back, we want to get even, we want to be mad, we want to sulk in it, Lord, we want to hold grudges. And God, I pray, I pray that you'll bring us back to the gospel and show us, help us see, Lord, open our eyes to the reality that you're asking us to do nothing that you haven't already done towards us. And God, I pray that gospel reality will, will be lived out and fleshed out in our lives. Lord, help us to love those who are hard to love, who don't love us, who are even bad to us, who wrong us. Help us to love them and to pray for them. And in so doing, live out the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.